2 Corinthians in chapter 5, and we shall read from verse 13. The Apostle Paul speaking, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. For if we are found of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we, are, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing our trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says... In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offence in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in such patience, in tribulation, in needs, in distresses. We'll leave it there. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. This is a very personal letter that the Apostle brings to uh, the believers at Corinth. The second time, of course, he's written. And uh, the first time, the first letter was mainly to deal with corrective things, questions that they'd asked him, things that needed to be uh, corrected in the assembly and things that needed to be explained and taught. And this second letter is very much a personal letter that the Apostle is writing again to the believers at Corinth. Uh, personally, he's coming under attack. He's coming under attack for his authority as an Apostle. And so in his second epistle here, he gives uh, defences to his authority explaining indeed that what he is teaching and has been made known to them was not his words. He hadn't received it from Peter or from any of the others, but uh, he had received it directly from the Lord. These verses that we've read together need indeed to give us uh, room for thought, to meditate upon what the Apostle is actually saying. He elevates us as Christians to a very high plane. He looks upon us as the people of God that we are very different to those in the world. 
at the beginning, breaking into the chapter, uh, in, into the argument that he's been making to those at Corinth, he reminds us that Christ died for all. Then all died. This is a tremendous statement. If we could only grasp this, it's something that many have not grasped. Many look upon the gospel, you know, as almost like an insurance policy. Yes, it's something we'll believe, we'll have our sins forgiven, and then we can just carry on and live the rest of our lives as we choose. Those that think that have never grasped what the gospel is all about, and you would make wonder what they have really believed. Because the apostle is telling us here that Christ died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. What the apostle is saying here is that Christ died on, in our stead, in our place. And as a result of that, because our lives are now hidden in Christ, the desire of our lives should be to live for him. It shouldn't be that we want to carry on to live in our own pleasure and to live for ourselves. He's saying, look, if, if the reality of what we have believed is this, that we have acknowledged and believed that Christ died for us and that he has risen again, that our lives are eternally secure in him. How can we, the Apostle is saying, carry on selfishly living for ourselves? He says we should think to live no longer for ourselves. In other words, the moment we become a Christian, we surrender our lives completely to the Lord and should submit to him and think to live for him in this world and our outlook and our attitudes are now completely different to those around us in the world he goes on to tell us that now he says we should not judge according to the flesh he says in verse 17 therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation old things have passed away and behold all things have become new a tremendous verse, a verse that's actually stumbled many, because very often this verse is taken out of context. We've always stressed, haven't we, it's important to read scripture in its context. Very often this verse is used to someone who's just become a Christian. They're a new creation in Christ. Well, that's true. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. But when someone becomes a Christian, they still have their old thoughts, their old habits, their old lusts, their old things that we've done, sinful ways. They're still with us now. The Apostle says that we still have our old nature within us. We constantly have to suppress it and it's a constant battle against our thoughts and our actions and our desires to keep them under check. So in, this, in the context of this verse, it's not true that all things have become new. But we need to read what the verse is saying. The Apostle is saying, if anyone is in Christ, not in me, in me I still had my old nature. When I became a Christian, positionally in Christ, all things are new. And so what he's looking at here is our position before God in Christ. 
It's not true that all things have become new in me, but in Christ, I have a new position, I have a new outlook and a new perspective. Therefore, the Apostle says, we shouldn't judge as people in the world judge. The Apostle in these verses, if you read these chapters here, he has a great deal to say about our judgment of others. He's not, I'm not talking about judging other people and their motives, but judging as in the way that the world looks at things. He's going to tell us in chapter 10 that we, our faith brings down strongholds. It brings down arguments of those who appear to be intelligent and yet they do not hold the knowledge of God. We see that in the world, don't we? Intelligent people making out that the world has just evolved. They're having knowledge, but not according to the knowledge of God. Our faith brings down those strongholds to acknowledge that as a Christian, we view things differently. We see it from God's perspective. In the beginning, God created. And what he's saying here is that we're not to consider one another and other people in the world on a worldly basis. People do that increasingly today, don't they? They want to know what others think, what others are doing, what others are buying, how they're spending their time, their interests. The Apostle says we should view as the people of God everybody as God sees them, to realise that they've all sinned and they're all in need of the Gospel. And so... As Christians, we should look at things in this world very differently. Not seeking to live for ourselves, but to submit our lives to God and to live for him, acknowledging that he's coming again and we're going to be with him. So the way that we live is not in the short term, just for the pleasures of this life. But we should always have in view eternity. Because in the earlier part of this chapter, the Apostle reminds us that we should every one of us stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we shall give an account for that which we have done in our service for him. And the Lord will judge everything that we've done. And so therefore, the context of these things is in relation to the way that we live, the way that we view things and the way that we judge things. Because here the Apostle goes on to remind them of the truth of the Gospel. And this is a wondrous thing. So many, you know, view the Gospel as a negative thing. It's something you need to believe to have your sins forgiven. To be saved from eternal judgment. Well, that is true. But that's not the essence of the Gospel. And that won't really save anyone. You know, the times I've heard it preached and uh, people preach about the judgment of sin. But you know, that will never bring conviction. Because conviction of sin is an act of faith. The Apostle, when he declared the Gospel, didn't he? He says that we should have faith, repentance toward God, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, repentance towards God is an act of faith. Because we need to believe that he is. And then to believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save us. But the stress of the gospel that the apostle had brought to those at Corinth that they had believed, by which they were standing, was a gospel of reconciliation. That they should be reconciled to God. And that is the essence of the gospel, isn't it? 
Not to be saved from our sin or from eternal judgment of a holy God. We praise God that is part of it. But the real wonder of what the gospel is, it brings us back to fellowship with God. Adam lost that in the garden, didn't he? He lost it when he sinned against God and he was eternally, he was spiritually separated from God. And he lost that communion with God in the garden. And ever since then, man has been separated from God. God hasn't done anything to spoil that. We have disobeyed God and have been separated from him. But now the gospel brings in the possibility that we can be reconciled to God, to have fellowship with God. And we discovered here in verse 19 that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. What a tremendous thing. Again, it brings us to such a high plane here, doesn't it? The world that day when the Lord Jesus was upon the cross, they were judging as the world was judging. He was just numbered amongst the thieves and the malefactors. Just another one. He was the song of the drunkards. They ridiculed him and they mocked him. It meant nothing to them. And yet, from God's perspective, the Apostle reminds us that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. This was what was taking place at Calvary, that God was bringing about a means that those of us who have been expelled from his presence should be eternally in fellowship with God and in in a righteous way, a just way, So none can point the finger and accuse us of anything that a holy God could have fellowship with us and we can be reconciled to him. He says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the the word of reconciliation. So God is no longer to those who have been reconciled to him, who are in Christ, who have become Christians. He is never ever going to hold us accountable for our sin because they have been accounted as being dealt with by the death, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus at the cross. We need to be very careful when we explain the truth of the gospel to men and women and boys and girls. The Lord Jesus did not die for their sins. He did not die for the sins of the world. He died so that the world could have their sins forgiven. The serpent was lifted up upon a pole, but it did not cure all of those that were there in the camp that had been bitten by snakes. So it wasn't true that that snake was there to heal all. It only healed those that looked believing and God healed them. And that's true for the cross. If we've been reconciled to God, we can then say that the Lord Jesus died in my place. He died for my sin. But if we're not saved, if we're not reconciled to God, then the unbeliever can't say that the Lord Jesus died for their sins because the consequence of that is then that they don't need to be saved. No, the Lord Jesus died so that they could have their sins forgiven. 
And the gospel is a message of reconciliation. And this brings it to a really high plane. Because the apostle now says that we are ambassadors for Christ through God. And as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, not everybody gets chosen by government to be an ambassador. It's a very special, a very unique breed of person that get asked to be an ambassador. An ambassador is one who goes to a foreign country and represents their government who represents the king or the queen of the, of the country from when they are from. So they have to be careful in the way that they live. They have to be careful in the way that they behave. And they especially have to be careful in the things that they say. And the Apostle Paul was saying that he is an ambassador for God. He is an ambassador. God is, is using him as his representative to plead with, to, 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 to preach this gospel of reconciliation. He's already done that to those at Corinth. And now what he's doing in these verses through to uh, verse 2 of chapter 6. He's reminding them of the gospel that he preached to them. The gospel of reconciliation. He's not saying, we need to read this carefully. That the Corinthians need to be reconciled to God. Because they've already been reconciled. When they were saved, he's explaining what the message is that he that, that he preached when he preached the gospel of reconciliation. He is an ambassador for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. That's a tremendous thing, isn't it? That this is the sense of which God is appealing to this world today. He is pleading with men and women to be reconciled to him that they might be saved. You know, this word is used of the centurion. When he came to the Lord Jesus, he pleaded with the Lord that the Lord might come to his house to heal his servant. He pleaded with the Lord. And this is the same word that's been used here of God. In Acts 17, the sense there is that God is commanding men to repent. But here the Apostle is telling us there's the sense also in which God is pleading. He is long-suffering. He is pleading to this day that men and women might respond to him and be reconciled to him. Even in the days in which we live, when everything is uh, disturbed and not normal, God has given men and women opportunity to pause and to think and to have a desire to want to be reconciled to him. It's a spiritual work, isn't it? The Lord says that no one can come to the Father unless the Father draw him. And God is pleading. God is, is pleading with men and women and boys and girls to be reconciled to himself. He is thinking to draw men and women to himself and by his spirit to convict them of their sin that they might be reconciled to him and boys and girls and young people and men and women who appreciate the gospel is a message of reconciliation that we might be reconciled to God to have fellowship with him it's then that we realize that Christ died for us and we too died with him when he died therefore from the moment we became a Christian and we are in Christ 
and all things become new, we should no longer seek to live for ourselves, but seek to live to please him who died for us, because one day we shall give an account for all that we have done in our service for him. Well, I commend the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 5 to you, but these are just some thoughts that we might just be encouraged by and be reminded of the truth of just what the Lord Jesus has done for us that we have come to remember this morning. Might the Lord just bless his word.